This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to self-work. This is Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I started self-work about six years ago now to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who wanted to learn more about psychological and emotional issues. Maybe you already know a lot and maybe you're just learning, but also to another group of you who might really be pretty cynical about the whole topic of mental illness or seeking therapy, but you're curious enough or unhappy enough to listen in to a podcast like Self Work. Welcome to all of you. Before we get started today, here's a message from Ozark Mountain Medicine about their wonderful CBD products. Diagnosed with degenerative disc in my back when I was in my 20s, I've long been a seeker of alternative ways to help reduce inflammation. And I can't believe that the best product I've ever found is produced here in Northwest Arkansas. Ozark Mountain Medicine, located on a small boutique farm in the Ozark Mountains under the careful watch of CBD guru Bill Morgan, is a grassroots operation which produces some of the highest quality CBD available on the market. Unlike marijuana, which contains THC, which is what makes it mood-altering, CBD isn't the same and is legal in all states. Ozark Mountain Medicine's products contain at least 16 varieties of hemp, where other CBD products may use only one. Think of it as a healing gumbo for your joint and muscle aches, and you've got the picture. What's most important to me and to you is that it works. I've been told at least three times in my life that I needed to be reassessed for back surgery, and three times I've kept walking, getting massages, and for the last three years, steadfastly using this product. You can take it orally in tincture form, or calming salves are available, which is what I prefer. The other benefits of taking it include immune support, increased relaxation, reduced anxiety, and improved sleep. So here's their fabulous offer for self-work listeners. All you have to do is use this promo link, ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash self-work, and you'll receive 10% off your order. I never suggest a product to you that I haven't used myself, and I reap this one's benefits each and every day. That code again is ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash selfwork. Sometimes the best solutions are right under your nose. So try a bit of Ozark Mountain Medicine CBD and see for yourself. I'm so pleased to introduce you to one of my friends who I've never met. She's one of my e-friends, but I wanted to feature her experience and her story because it parallels so much of what I hear out there about chronic depression. Terry McGuire is a former broadcast journalist and voiceover talent who has earned a living with her voice for more than four decades, and you'll be able to hear that. She's got a great speaking voice. After experiencing her longest and darkest depression, she decided to use her experience to give voice to depression. For more than five years, Terry has collected and shared stories of her weekly guest resilience, struggles, mental health management tools, and general experiences of depression for episodes of the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, and it's a great podcast. Her mission and message are clear. She wants listeners to know that they are not alone, that recovery is possible, and the dark thoughts in their minds are symptoms and not truths. She's got a lot of titles after her name. She's president of the nonprofit Giving Voice to Mental Illness. 
During the pandemic, she became a certified peer support specialist. She's on the board of directors of NAMI in Wisconsin, the steering committee of Prevent Suicide Greater Milwaukee, and works as a mental health advocate with the A.B. Corker Foundation for Mental Health. Wow, she's a busy lady. And she made time to tell her story to me and thus to you. And before continuing today, we've got a new offer from Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough, or MAG Breakthrough is what they call it. Let's hear it. If you don't want to accidentally take a laxative and have the worst day of your life, listen to this. If you're currently taking a magnesium supplement, chances are you're flushing it down the toilet. And I mean that literally. You see, the most common type of magnesium is actually used as a laxative. So if you're taking it, you're literally pooping and peeing it out. Kind of ironic, isn't it? The worst part about magnesium deficiency is how it affects almost every aspect of your health. Your metabolism suffers, you can't lose weight, your blood pressure goes up, and a whole lot more. And the worst part, as we've talked about, is your sleep suffers. So what's the solution? It's called Magnesium Breakthrough, and it's my favorite magnesium product that I continue to recommend. It's the only full-spectrum magnesium supplement with seven unique forms of magnesium that your body can actually absorb. And this month, they're including free bottles of their full line of digestive health products on select orders while supply lasts. That means you're getting free products to try that will support your digestive system. Now, this special offer is only available at magbreakthrough.com slash selfwork. That's magbreakthrough.com slash selfwork. And you've got to enter the code selfwork10 for 10% off any offer. So free product and 10% off. Try it. Okay, now we've heard from everyone who can hopefully help you and help your health. Let's now hear from Terry McGuire. I'm just really excited to have you on, Terry. You know, you and I have known each other now about six years. Uh, But the way I remember the story is that I had started self-work and was about eight to 10 podcasts in, and you were kind enough to reach out to me and say, would I like a producer? And I had to get back with you and say, I don't even know what a producer is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm glad it worked out that way. (laughs) Well, yeah, because you now have your own wonderful podcast. And so I'm I'm a little sad now because now that I get it, I go, oh, gosh, you're going to save me a lot of work. Yeah, it can still happen. I still love, you know, giving voice to depression and and I'm honored to be on the board. And so um, let's talk a little bit about your own story with depression and how this became so important to you to do. Uh, I I think I probably have had depression my whole life. I certainly remember experiencing it in preteen, teen years. Uh, It was not something that was talked about. It was not something that was addressed. It was not something that was treated. Um, It wasn't probably till I was married that I first thought, oh, something might be wrong. Um, Not not just with the marriage, but with with me. Uh, And let me ask you quickly, is that because of the culture you were in? Is that because of the family you were in that it wasn't talked about? Probably both, but I only know the family. You know, but there were also seven of us, and it's not like, you know, there was really time to say to the one, you know, I'm sorry, is something going on with you? But I do remember, and thinking about speaking to you today, I remembered uh, 
that do you remember the the theme song for MASH? It was Suicide yeah. is Painless. Mm-hmm. I used to sing that around the house. Now, you know, in this environment, I would certainly hope that someone would say like, oh, that's a heck of a song choice. Yeah. You know, but back then it was just. I remember at some point my mom said, you need to learn a new song, but there was never a question as to why I had chosen the original one. Mom. And I don't think I was consciously trying to make a point. It wasn't like, hey, red flag. Uh, but there was a reason I was drawn to that. Sure, of course. Wow. Yeah. Was anybody else in your family affected by depression now that you look back on it? Or I know that your sister, you have done the, have done yes. the podcast together. Yes. But was there anybody looking back that your mother or your father may have had some depression or a grandparent or anything like that? My father had undiagnosed bipolar disorder. I mean, it was undiagnosed. So I, I, I'm not a doctor and I can't really say that, but I can really say that it was quite extreme. Um, and my mom had had really bad anxiety. Uh, as for the siblings, you know, I'm, I don't have permission to discuss their mental health and nobody has ever disclosed it to me ever. It's even with a depression podcast. No one has said to me, yeah, I have it too. Never. Wow. Yeah. Did your father ever get help? No. So can I ask you if there was violence in the home because of it? No, there wasn't violence. There was volatility. We'll we'll leave it at that. Extreme volatility. Yep. Because he was either, you know, on top of the world or he was literally pulling the drawstrings on a hoodie so that it was barely open. And sitting in the dark. And it was sad because, you know, as a kid, you're thinking you're being rejected and unloved, yes. whereas opposed to it had very little, if anything, to do with you. But how do you know that when you're four or five? So you were how old when you were first married and realized, oh, wait a minute, something's wrong? Early 20s. But it wasn't even bad then. I mean, I wouldn't say I mean, it was bad enough that I went on antidepressants for a while. But I don't consider, huh, you know, the one that took me down that led to the podcast I was in my 50s and, you know, I it was I and having been twice on antidepressants before, I didn't recognize it as depression. And I think that's the thing that surprises me most because I'm a reasonably intelligent human being and I'm a really good researcher. So, you know, uh, WebMD and I are, are old buds, you know, and I would go on and look up my symptoms. I did not do it with depression. I think that I believed it was just me. You know, that I had just lost my worth as a human being. What about and, the causal factors? Were they affecting? Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up because the two times I think I had it worse, you know, the, the teenage, mm-hmm. like 13, and then 53. And I believe that those were my hormonal bookends and that absolutely it played a role. And I remember asking my doctor, you know, my OB, do I, do I need to be worried about this? Because when I was 13, you know, she's like, oh, no, don't worry about it at all. And I was like, okay. And then poof. What were your symptoms? What what how did this feel different in your fifties? Oh, I I consider myself to have basically lost two years of my life. I mean, it was so impacted and diminished. Uh, I could get up sometimes. I, I lived. I had just gotten divorced. I had just moved far away from all of the people I knew. I was living in a little wooden cabin, um, and so that alone would have led to some isolation and some changes, mm-hmm. but. I was in bed a lot. Um, It was just, you know, I just really, really thought that all of the things that I had done prior, and that included like being a news anchor and stuff. I thought that, that that was all just a fluke and that now the veneer was off and the real me was being exposed to me. 
and that there was very little worth to me. Um, I didn't question it. You know, I, I would, if I had to go somewhere, I would sit there and I often felt like I wish I had a camera so that I could be, I was that distant that I may as well have been just recording the event as opposed to trying to participate in it. You felt real detached from yes. the moment. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then I would come home and pretty much just get back into bed. There were times I walked in the front door, walked straight to my bed, and I would still have my coat on when I woke up hours later. And I live in Wisconsin, so I'm talking about a, you know, a, a real big coat. Parka. Um, the parka, exactly. Uh, I just was... There was a physical weight to it. I remember thinking it was like the, the, the lead shield they put on you when you get an x-ray at the dentist. You know, there were times that I would think it's actually hard to physically get up. But the worst parts were just the thoughts, not just, not just at all. Um, poof, you know, the belief that I was always going to feel that way. Mm-hmm. The belief that my value was gone. The belief that there was very little point in trying anything um just did not i wasn't trying to hide it i wasn't not talking about it you know i would say to people my god it's like i just like i can't even i just can't even i I don't want this i don't want that i'm not interested in the things i used to be interested in all the classic signs symptoms yeah 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 right i could have found that list somewhere had i looked um it wasn't until a day I was, I was in bed and I thought I was having a heart attack. I did not at that point know that a heartbreak has an actual mm-hmm. pain to it. Yes. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm having a heart attack pretty calmly. And the first thought was, you, you got to throw your phone. You know, my cell phone was on the bed next to me, uh, on the bed on the, the nightstand. And so I threw it. And my thought was so logical to me that if I died... And my phone was right there. People were going to feel bad. And they were going to wonder why I hadn't accessed it, why I hadn't called 911. But if it was in the other room, they would just think I couldn't reach it. And that's when I went like, wait, what? That's, you know, now I was sort of participating in it. Mm. And and that was a, fortunately, that's as close as I got on that slide. Um, And I just went like, something's really wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And I called my doctor, made an appointment, told him I needed to get right in. I can't tell you how fast I felt better. You know, it was weeks. And I, I was on antidepressants and I was like, how could I have, how could I have not, have, how could I not have done this two years ago? Mm-hmm. You know, if two months in, I said, boy, you know, this just isn't going away. And I don't think it's just the divorce. I could have saved myself all of that. So that's my depression story. I'm, 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 I'm not embarrassed anymore because now that I've interviewed so many people, but I realize how common it is to be that out of touch with what it is because one of depression symptoms is it tells you you're not sick that you don't have it and that's i think one of the ways it's diabolical is so it, it, you can talk about it you're not detached from it at all i can see i can watch you and see that you're struggling a little bit from time to time but when you when you realized wait a minute this is depression yeah did you felt relief but did you also feel sadness or anger or anything like that? I might have been mad at myself, but I was also pretty surprised. I I try not to use the word angry, but um, a little bit at everyone in my supposed support network. Right. Because if I said 
anything else. You know, if I said, you know, this hoarseness, yeah, I've been clearing my throat for 18 months and it just won't go away. Somebody would have said, you need to see an ENT. You know, if I said, I'm still limping, they would have said, you need to see an orthopedic. You know, I said, I don't even want to get out of bed. I think about dying all of the time and I want to, you know, and it was just like, the reaction that I most often got, I could characterize as like, you're just a downer. You're just not much fun to be with anymore. You know, that's really bad conversation. No one, family or friend said. How long ago? Well, I, I, right when I got out of it, I started the podcast and this is year six. So seven, eight years ago. Okay. Not that long. No. Um, Especially nobody said the, it. What I, I asked because of the, the culture beginning yes. to change and more and more people talking about mental illness. And I thought, well, this was 20 years ago. Right. You, I don't think you're 88. You know? no, well, no, no, thanks. <laughs> so, although now I think I might dye my hair since you're not sure. But yeah. um, no, it, it's frightening that, that nobody said it. You know, just a simple, have you seen a doctor? You know, not even, I think this might be, you know, they don't have to diagnose me. They don't have to have that information. But to just suggest that perhaps it was medical, um, but it made a real difference. Were you in therapy ever? Yeah, I think I was. I think I probably was. I don't remember during that period, during those two years, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I even had the energy to do it. Okay. But I know I had been previously. Um, yeah, and I don't know no for sure. Particular signs or precursors that someone would say you're headed for a major depression? No, and I certainly wouldn't have recognized them. And that's one of the things that, you know, in my podcast, I'm constantly talking about and really on alert for myself. I, um, my mother died a couple of weeks ago, and I was so cognizant of the fact that that could be you know, put some real slippery stuff on my slope um, that I did get into therapy and sort of prepare for it as best I could so that I lessened the chance that it would trigger me into a depression. Um, but I did not recognize any warning signs. And that's on me. You know, I could also have done that research, but I think that's a very unresourced place to be. You know, when you just really think it's you, you're not looking up like, why is Terry such a loser? You know, I mean, I, I, I don't think I, I would have even known to look up what are the symptoms of depression. Hmm. So when you hear yourself now talk about this, what, mm-hmm. what would you say to that 13 year old that <sighs> was going around singing suicide is right? What would you say to her? Uh, well, I couldn't tell her in honesty, hey, it's not always going to be that way, because it was for a lot of my life. Um, and I don't know that it had I gone in, you know, 1970, whatever that was, to the school nurse and told her that anything much would have happened either. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wondered what your adult self yeah, I would tell her that it's at a certain phase in her life that there would be a time she could tell someone and she could get help. But I don't think that if I, you know, at... 13, if I'd done anything differently, it would have made a difference. And I, and I don't think my parents would have appreciated me bringing attention to something as um, unseemly as mental illness in the home. Mm. I just don't think that would have been welcomed. And yet you turn to beginning your own podcast in order to, well, in order to what? 
um, let other people know it has a name, let other people know it's common, let other people know it's an illness, save other people from losing two years of their life, um, let them know that they have not lost their value, that they have something very common, um, and to to not have that be a loss for me. You know, it was a way for me to reclaim that time and make some sense of it. And I know that you can't, I don't think everything happens for a reason. And having had two suicides in my family, I would never use that phrase because their parents, I should think, um, would really have an issue with me saying that. So I, I don't use that phrase, but I think that this happened so that I would make a major shift in my, in my career and in my life. Uh, I had been a reporter. I've been interviewing people for decades, 40 some years. And I had all of the skills and ingredients sort of to do what I'm doing, but I didn't have, you know, I was doing medical narrations. I was doing whatever somebody hired me to do. Um, Then all of a sudden I sort of had a cause. I had a mission. It was, oh, hell no. It gave it meaning. It did. I was just, I just thought, I can't, like, I, if, it can't just be me. You know, I'm not the only completely clueless. You know, I, I just thought, wow, there have got to be a lot of me's out there. And I just thought, I can reach them even there with a podcast. You know, they don't have to make an appointment with a therapist. They don't have to go to a group setting. They don't have to, you know, they can literally be in bed and listen to that and hear someone else say, and I thought, I was a burden. I thought I was worthless. I thought there was no point. I thought, and just be like, wait, wait, what? How do you know what I'm thinking? How do you know what I'm experiencing? And then be like, because we all do, because it's really similar. Um, and I just thought that I had a responsibility to do that. Yeah, I had worked at a, I worked at a crisis line. And oh, okay. yeah, yeah well, I, I, that was a, it was something I was trying after uh, my niece died and I wanted to do something in her honor. Was she and I quit. Suicide? She did not. A different one did, <clears throat> but she did not. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I choke up. Um, and I quit because I said, I'm officially a caller. You know, I should not be answering the phone anymore. And they, and we all had a great laugh and I drove home and got in bed and was like, yeah, I wasn't kidding. Um, so even at a crisis line, <laughs> nobody said, Hey, do you think you're depressed? I mean, nobody. My guess is, you know, you're you're a very eloquent person. Your your speech is, I can tell you've been a TV anchor. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's you're you're crisp and you're you know you're well organized in your thoughts. And I guess it was incredibly easy to not listen to what you were saying, right? Only attend to how you were saying it. Interesting. Probably you know, that's what I've studied with perfectly hidden depression is that. As a therapist, sometimes I'd go, now, wait a minute, what did they just say? Right. Because they were right. smiling and right. were very precise in their language or something. I'd go, well, what, what, wait a minute, say that again. Right. <laughs> so, um, so what, what is the podcast been like? The podcast is called Giving Voice to Depression and it's been around now for five years, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. so what have you learned? How do, how do people come to you and say, I want to be on the podcast? I mean, some of my self-work listeners might say, I would love to, to mm. give voice to my depression. Right. Uh, how right. Would I would love that. Uh, on our Facebook page, although I realize now Facebook has sort of changed in popularity and uh, reputation since we started there. Um, but there's a button there to contact us. Otherwise, I'm Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, at givingvoicetodepression.com. Um, 
Most of the people I find a lot online because they comment on something I post and I write back and say, hey, you want to talk about that? You know, that's a really good point you made. Um, Some people come to us. It seems like most I find, and I really can't, now that you ask, I'm like, how how have I found people for 300 episodes? (laughs) Um, Whenever I can't find someone, then I can find an expert, right? You can always find somebody with a book. You can always find somebody who's written an article about the four ways or whatever. Um, And then somebody hears that and comments, and then I'm back on track with another person telling their personal story. Just their participation in the conversation has started you to, maybe they would like to talk more. Yes, yeah, they're willing to share. They're willing to share publicly because it's all online. Um, and I don't use their names. So, you know, even though it says their first and last name on every comment that they're making, I just use their first names and I don't say where in the world they are. So I make it a little easier for them to share. Um, what have I learned? I've learned so much. And it, it might sound like, a, I don't know, you know, trite to say that I have learned something from every single person I've interviewed, but I absolutely have. And I feel so much better prepared to handle my depression now than I was because there's huge power, power in sharing your story, if it's safe to do that, and and with someone it's safe to do that with, um, but in hearing other people's too, you're like, oh, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I never have done that. Um, You know, there's, I've heard so many people say, I'm a journal, I journal. And people say, "I, I can't do that. I couldn't have someone read it. You know, I don't want someone to find it. And then I interviewed a woman who writes on her page and then turns it 90 degrees and writes over it 90 degrees over it four times till it's just a jumble of letters. And then she paints over it and it's amazing. And she gets it out, you know, and I thought, never would have thought of that. So now (laughs) some of my journals, when I get really into something that I really don't want someone to ever read, I turn it and I write over it again. Um, I have learned that it manifests it being depression manifests differently for different people. Um, You know, I really thought it was the in bed blankets over your head, depressed. And, you know, Mm -hmm. then my little sister gets um, really negative is the word she prefers for me to use (laughs) Um, and, and uh, aggressive. And that is not what I get. However, I do notice a difference and it's one of my warning signs in traffic. You know, somebody cuts me off and I respond differently than I normally do. Uh, then I know, like, better be careful, better be careful. Just make sure it was just that. Um, I have learned all the different ways people treat, you know, how many tools, how many different tools you can have in your toolkit. You know, I I sort of was like, so now I'm on antidepressants and sort of as if that's the only thing you have to do. But I have a bad back and I wore a full body brace for eight years. I wore a body brace. So I have a bad back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And I um, I know when I get that little twinge, I think, ooh, I've been warned. That's what I, I say it out loud. I've been warned. And I stretch and I don't overreach. And I am more careful when I turn even in bed. I'm more slow. I do all sorts of things differently. And now I do that with my mental health, too. I just think like, ooh, I've been warned. You know, at analogy. Oh, thanks. So I have learned that. I have learned that we have more control over it. I used to think it was, you know, like walking down the block and you turn a corner and boom, there's something there and it gets you. Um, I don't feel that way anymore. And it may be, it may be, that may happen to me again sometime and it may happen for other people. But I think, at least for me, that if I notice those early warning signs, I can't stay out of it all the time. 
but I haven't been laid out by it since I started the podcast. And that's six years. That's a long time to not hmm. have it when you what have about, it. What about being so open about, you know, being depressed? I think it's being real. Hmm. You know, I don't, I don't want to talk about, I don't know, the latest sandal style or some nonsense. I just have no, I have no interest in petty talk. Now that doesn't mean I always want to talk about depression and suicide, but I do it more than you would guess. But every time I bring it up, I don't get, and I'm not talking about like in parties, except people ask what I do. That's what I do. Um, I don't get like you, like I used to, like I used to when I said, that's how I was feeling. How are you doing? Oh, not so good. Nobody wanted to hear it. But now that I sort of make it a, a topic more than a, an experience, they seem to be able to handle that better. And then I get, oh, my mother, my husband, my son, my daughter, my friend, my me, you know, I have that. And then now we're off and running and we get to have a real conversation. And again, I don't want to sit and talk about depression all the time, but it's also a very real conversation and very vulnerable and very like, so what do you do? And when you can ask people, it's like, do you think about dying? You know, and when you think about it, do you think about actually wanting to kill yourself or just not wanting to be here anymore? And you, you see somebody almost, it's not recoil. It's just sort of like, oh my God, you actually asked it. You spoke it. You put words to that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then you can say it, you know, and I, and I say, I've never actually planned or researched or thought of how, but Oh, I've wanted to be dead for for years, you know, just like, yeah, if I could, I'd be cool with that. That's a really different thing. You know, it, the research shows that it is, it, it is erroneous to think that talking about suicide actually right. increases the, the likelihood of someone dying by suicide. Right. So that's a huge myth about depression. So what what do people tell you who come on the show and what do they say? that meant to them how or that how that has changed them to actually come on and talk openly about it if there's a common theme it would be that their families understand them better now uh-huh. because we get into it more than you know even if you finally say well i've been diagnosed with major depressive disorder and they say oh, oh that's that's bad i'm sorry and you say i'm taking pills and oh i'm glad because now You'll be all better. You'll be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that can be the extent of the family conversation. But like I just interviewed a young girl. She was actually a minor. So I had to stop the interview, get parental uh, waivers signed and, and finish the interview. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, how old are you? Um, but, you know, I asked her questions. You know, what 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 could somebody have said? What could somebody have done? Is there anything You've learned through your experience that if somebody said to you, if you noticed somebody was off, how you would, what words you would use to approach them, what words you would use, as you just said, bringing up the word suicide is not going to trigger it. And you don't say you're thinking of hurting yourself because that's not what they're thinking about. They're thinking about killing themselves. So she, when her parents hear this, and this will be next Tuesday, I suspect they're going to know some things they didn't know before. Um including their role in her mind um, in the way they communicated with her prior to her attempt. And since uh, I think that that's been it, that they feel better understood now and that some doors have opened. I had a, a man uh, who was hospitalized and was listening for, for his depression and because he was suicidal and was listening to the podcast in the hospital. And he said to his wife, I'll know I'm well when I can share my story. 
and then got a hold of me. I just said, I just got uh, chill bumps on my arm. Ooh, it gets better. <laughs> so he tells me his story. And, you know, it is just what you would expect of someone who really suffered and then got help. His son heard it and said, his son didn't know he had depression until he was visiting him in the hospital for having been suicidal. And his son said, Dad, I have depression. I want to do a podcast. So he shared his story with us, too. And then now the two of them are a support for each other because they it, the door was opened. You know, I, I, that's really wonderfully expressed because it, you know, these people are getting this feedback of rather than, I can't believe you did this. You disgraced the family. Right. That there's been this understanding. I wonder, you know, it also makes me think about the people, you know, when I first started trying to uh, write about Perfectly Hidden Depression, figure out what in the heck I was talking about or trying to talk about, (laughs) uh, people came forward and wanted to be interviewed. They volunteered to be interviewed. And I would ask them all, you know, why did you come forward? And they said, because the loneliness you feel through because you realize something is wrong and no one knows you no one knows what's really going on with you right and that of course could be from the trauma-based perfectionism that i talk about but it also could be classic depression mm-hmm. and it's not high functioning depression that it's not mm-hmm. necessary well it can be i guess but it's also just that there's this denial or detachment or lack of interest or lack of comfort in talking about it and they said we wouldn't we wouldn't wish the loneliness we've had on anyone else. So hmm. that story about the father and the son, they, you know, isn't it interesting how they must both have been so lonely and not sharing that with one another. Right. And then all of a sudden they, they get to, they get to have that in common and be supportive to one another. I had someone say to me once, I think we're all keeping the same secret from each other. And it, uh-huh. right. It's just like if you could just, if, if there's one in four, if there's one in five, whatever the number is, you know, you're in any room. You know, it's like, hey, you know, real quick, anybody else here got depression? Put your hand up so we can talk for a second because I'm really struggling right now. I mean, that doesn't happen. It's never going to happen. Um, I've tried it in the grocery store. Um, I haven't, but I, you know, it's, it's, you know, they're there. They're right there. And yet we all feel so alone. And it is a nice thing to open the door. Um, I think that part of how I chose to do it with just using first names and not saying where in the world someone is, they get to decide if they're going to share it with their family or not. Mm. And some probably don't. But the ones who do have already made the decision or, or at least been willing to roll the dice on the fact that when someone hears it, they will be somewhat respectful. It reminds me. It reminds me of the of the goal of this is my brave, which I know you know about. Yes, and yes. Because there are people telling their stories of their own mental illness and and our mental battle or whatever you want to call it. Sharing it with people they trust and and who could benefit from it themselves must be incredible. And I find myself being very protective because there are times that when you open the door, someone comes through it in a very big way, and they say things that. The former journalist in me would think, ooh, you know, that's juicy. Not that I would yes. use the word in this context, but, you know, back in the day, upstairs, you know, the PR department <clears throat> would have been like, she says, you know, right. I can't do that because I won't exploit anybody. But I think, ooh, I think that that would make you less inclined to sh- to share it, the episode with the people in your life. And I think that it would probably be beneficial to you to have their support because, we all benefit from that. So when they say, 
my mother this or my father that it or, you know, when I told my husband I was suicidal, he said, and I think, ugh, you know, that's not going to help your relationship at all. And it's probably in your best interest to be in it because you tell me you love him. Um, so I'll just edit that out. So I find myself being very protective of the people. I don't change the context ever because I am a journalist, but I do I do recognize when someone's oversharing, yes. when they get overly personal. And, and that does not need to make it onto the airwaves. I acknowledge it and I, you know, respect them for, and I, I'm honored to be trusted to that level, but I also take it out. I think that's a wonderful choice uh, and really, like I say, very ethical because you, um, you just, you know, people may share something they think they're okay with and then the next day they're going, why in the heck did yeah. I say that? Yes. And so you're helping them protect themselves all at the same time. I don't even know what someone is going to talk about. I don't, after all these years, I don't even go in with a list of questions anymore. Somebody starts to tell me their story and I think, oh, oh, wait, you're a veteran. You know, didn't know you were. We're going to talk about that. Or they start talking about how they treated it with drugs and alcohol. And I say, oh, okay, we're going to talk about, I just totally lost the word that that is where you have dual diagnosis. Oh, dual diagnosis, yeah. And what did you say? Addiction. Mm-hmm. Well, addiction, yes. Um, so I think, okay, that's now it's going to take a turn in that direction. But I very often don't know when I go in because I don't know what their story is. I don't pre-interview people because they tend to get more, if they think I responded in a certain way to something they said, then they try to say it again or not say it. Or I just, I, I try to just open a door and let them talk. I don't know if that's good or not. I guess I'll. Okay. I guess I'll so it yeah. sounds like no one has ever said to you, I wish I hadn't done it. I have never heard that. I have never heard that. Now, if they did, and maybe they didn't tell me. But again, I try to be respectful. I edit it down. That helps. You know, we talk for 45 minutes and it's a 20 minute episode. Um, that's just the journalist in me who's got to condense it. You know, I had a minute and a half in TV news. So 20 minutes is like war and peace for me. I can say a lot <laughs> in 20 minutes. So I, you know, I don't use it all. Maybe there are people who say, I wonder why she took that out. But no one's ever said it to me. Um, Mm-hmm. And and everybody I've ever interviewed has my email address, so they certainly could if they wanted to. And they could have asked you not to air it as well. So you're right. Yeah. So if people wanted to, you you said how how they could contact you if they wanted to actually be a guest mm-hmm. on the show. What if they just wanted to be supportive of this effort financially? I think the only way, and thank you for asking, because that is a thing with mental health. I just when I think of the the jobs that people get paid to do and the jobs that they don't, it kind of boggles my mind. But givingvoicetodepression.com is our website, and there is a donate button on it. And it is a 501c3, so it's tax deductible. Sure. Uh, we've In the last two months, we've had two um, families. One was a veteran who had ended his own life, and one was my mom, um, who put... Uh, giving voice in their obituaries, mm-hmm. and um, it's it was it's a rare day, you know that that I log in and see more than, you know, I mean some of some of them are lovely. Some people give us like five dollars a month, and I I, I am just touched by that because I assume it's not a multimillionaire, um, you know, and and I think how nice that you have whatever funds you have and choose to share them with us, and. And there are very few people who who um, donate monthly or regularly, but 
I'm always grateful when they do because it all goes right to. So what do you think makes giving voice to depression unique? Oh, I like to think that it's the style of the interview. Most of the podcast I listen to, and and it, one of the reasons for it is because it's very effective. Uh, is you know you you record the interview and you and you play it back. Uh, because of my background, it's it's just my nature to trans and because I overcomplicate things to transcribe every interview and then to write it and condense it and to do. I, I think of it as NPR style, but I'm sure anyone who yes. listens to NPR is it. Well, thank you, but I would imagine somebody from NPR would be like in your dreams, darling. Um, but I but I try to do it and have so I can dial in that there was a recent study or that you know WHO just came out with blank or the PBS uh, hiding in plain sight and t- dial that in with the. Um, teenager who just attempted. Uh, it's very well-produced. And, and I appreciate and, that. And you, you have intermittent things that you say to sort of make sure people are noticing the point that's about to come up or the point that was just yeah. made, or like you say, connect it with some recent research, or it's trackable. It's by the time you listen from the beginning to the end, it's like you're not just hearing a story, you're hearing the context of the story. Oh, thanks. I I do try. And and I try to make them about 20 minutes as well, because I know that with depression, I have a a reduced attention span. And I I can't, I've been on podcasts that have been an hour and a half and two hours long. I don't listen and I'm the guest. You know, (laughs) you think like, wow, if I don't want to hear me, no one else does. So what happened during the pandemic? I mean, were your, did your numbers go up a lot? But I mean, yeah, our numbers went up. Um, and it was kind of sad that they did, but also, also good. You know, I'm glad that people were getting information. I'm glad they realized they needed it. I think that a lot of people realized how fine that line is between okay and not okay. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to, like I didn't, um, name it, but sort of look into it. Like maybe, you know, what's this depression thing I hear about? You know, it might just be that vague. Um, and some were, about going back to work and somewhere about working from home and somewhere, how do you handle it when your teenage kids locked in the room? And how do you know if they just can't stand being home or something's going on in there? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we tried to, it, it was a tricky one, right? Because oddly enough, it became political. And so, you know, we couldn't say a whole lot when there were people who were saying it's not real um, mm-hmm. or that it's fabricated or whatever it was. Um, so we tried to walk the line. But just say that a lot of people were experiencing, if nothing else, isolation has its own consequences. Mm -hmm. And it can be like a trigger for and a symptom of depression. And Mm -hmm. and we were all isolated. Mm. So where can self-work listeners find giving voice to depression? Oh, I think I'm supposed to say wherever you find your podcasts. Um, (laughs) It's on on Spotify, Apple, Apple. I do think it's everywhere. Right. And givingvoicetodepression.com. It's all on our website. So, you know, there's 300 some episodes and you can kind of scroll through and see. But even the ones that aren't the topic that you think relates to you, as I say, you learn from everybody. It doesn't matter if it's a, you know, man with nine children and you don't relate to that at all as a single woman. He's got lots to say that you can relate to and, and vice versa. And then when you can shed some light on something that they 
didn't know or they'd never heard of or whatever. It's just, it's a, it's a special kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think giving voice to depression definitely does that. And um, thank you. So I'm, I'm delighted to have you on self work today. And I encourage you. All you self-work listeners to give Giving Voice to Depression a, a, a listen. Um, I'm proud, as, as I said before, to be on the board of directors and um, be involved in, in its uh, continuance. Thank you. I'm really grateful for your support, for you being there. And I learn an awful lot listening to you interview people. So uh, thank you, Dr. Margaret. I appreciate your time. I think you heard why her story was so important for many of you to hear. She's one of those people that no one would know that she suffers from chronic depression. And many of you may be just like her. So hopefully her story and her advice and her wisdom help you out. Thank you for being here at Self Work. You're very special to me. I'm very grateful for every listener. And I'm delighted to be able to offer people's testimony to you like Terry. Thank you for being here. Take very good care of yourself, of those you love, and of your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.